Hey everyone, well, we just got off an amazing conversation with a colleague, Dr. Carrie Jones, hormone expert. And uh, it, was, it was such a fun conversation. She's a, she's a, a joyful human being uh, with so much information. And uh, so we talked all about hormones. Mm -hmm. She brings the joy into hormones and makes them so relatable and so understandable for everybody so that you start to really sink your teeth into how they work, why they're there, what affects them, but then from a perspective that actually is um, easy to understand. So we talked about testing, what kind of tests to use, why it's important. How women are smarter, men are one track, all those things. A little bit of that going on. Um, but, uh... <laughs> you just got off track, didn't you? I did. Yeah, but also all the gifts. So we talked about the differences um, between the brains of men and women and um, some studies that have been done with like even generational hormone changes due to traumas and lifestyle factors. So all the different things that impact hormones. So it's a really, really important episode for everyone to listen to. So while Nick gets his train, um, of, thought back. train of thought back, we'll sign off here. Yeah. Yeah. Enjoy. Welcome to the Health Ignited podcast with your hosts, Dr. Nick and Sonia Jensen. We are partners, parents, business partners, doctors, yoga teachers, and retreat leaders. We promise to bring you real conversations to awaken and ignite your potential to live your best life possible. Join us each week as we dive into topics varying from brain health, biohacking, hormones and longevity, to relationships, parenting, meditation and more. Together, creating community and building stronger foundations for the generations to come. All right, guys, welcome back to another episode of Health Ignited. I'm here with Dr. Sonia Jensen, and we have an amazing presenter today or interviewee uh, colleague. Her name is Dr. Carrie Jones. She's a naturopathic doctor and inter internationally recognized speaker, consultant, and educator on the topic of women's health and hormones. Dr. Jones graduated from the National University of Natu Natural Medicine in Portland, Oregon, where she completed a two-year residency in women's health, hormones, and endocrinology. Later, she graduated from Grand Canyon uh, University's Mace Master of Public Health program. Recently, Dr. Jones became board, board certified through the American Board of Naturopathic Endocrinology. Mouthful. Oh my goodness. <laughs> so many things. She's an amazing woman. Uh, she was adjunct faculty for many years teaching gynecology and advanced endocrinology fertility. And then while in practice, Dr. Jones got headhunted by a company <laughs> uh, where she was actually a medical director for very two very large integrative uh, clinics in Portland. And the headhunter in, in question was uh, Precision Analytical, where she's now the current uh, head of medical uh, Direction. Direction. It's <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> so awesome to have you on here, Carrie. And just before we uh, just kind of got to know each other a little bit before we started the call, we realized that we actually met you at a conference where you were teaching on uh, hormones and testing and everything. So it's it's funny, you know, I don't know how many years ago that was, maybe eight, nine years ago. I was going to say a while. Yeah. yeah. Your, your youngest was uh, just a year That's old. That's right. Then. Yeah. That's probably your first time actually getting away from it was well we were <gasps> kind of driving back and forth because my parents lived right by the border <laughs> yeah date weekend yeah and then we would drive and then i'd come back all engorged because i'd yeah. have to nurse oh my gosh <laughs> yeah so that was that was quite the weekend i feel like we had kava kava shots that weekend too so you you must have been kind of chill we i didn't have I, oh, you didn't surprised have it. me at yeah. that conference yeah they're known yeah. for that yeah yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. that's funny yeah. So thank you so much for taking time out of your schedule to be with us today, Carrie. Oh my gosh, absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah. 
So where, where do you want to start, Sonia? There's so many questions we have mm-hmm, for her. But... Mm-hmm. Yeah, I kind of want to start with your story and why you chose to teach on hormones, because you're an amazing teacher. Like if you watch Dr. Carrie Jones on Instagram, she just has this way of relaying information that's relatable and that everyone can understand and also recognize that this is important and it's something that I need to really look into. So why hormones? <laughs> well, first of all, thank you. That is, um, I love that. That's amazing. And that's my goal. Education empowerment, entertainment. That's what I'm all about. And one of the things I've realized is that, um, being a woman, you know, we learned puberty, like, you know, we all, my sex ed was taught to me by my football, by the football coach. So you can imagine, and I wasn't grew up in the South. So you can imagine a Southern football coach explaining sex ed. That was total disaster. And then it ended it like, that was it. It was like, you know, here's your body. Welcome to womanhood. And then And then, you know, like I knew the gist of how to get pregnant and then there was nothing else. There was no about this is normal. This is abnormal. This is common, but not normal. And oh, by the way, as you get older, here's things to watch out for. And there's this thing called perimenopause and eventually menopause. And I watched my mom go through menopause and it was uh, not smooth. And I thought, this is ridiculous. I want women to be able to know the road ahead, like what's happening right now and what's happening, what's, what's coming in the future, because I think that education is, is really missed. And the more women I talk to about this, like, did you, did you know this thing about cramps or PMS or endometriosis or PCOS or perimenopause? They were like, no idea, blindly going through life, no idea, you know, trying to search it on Google, talking to my sister, I don't know. And so that's why I just thought I'm going to go all in on hormones because, women just don't know. Mm-hmm. And we're more complicated than men. So we're more comprehensive. Let's say that. Yes. Yeah, so that's, comprehensive yeah, that's good. <laughs> yeah. I love that your, your career started off with your football coach. <laughs> How exciting is that? I, I just imagine there must yeah. be some amazing metaphors you could pull out of football and bring that into the hormonal realm. It was <laughs> so ridiculous and awkward. Yeah. Our Southern football coach. And I thought, Oh no, gosh, uh-uh. <laughs> you better than this. Yeah. Well, I think the education piece is so important because it changes the relationship to hormones. Yeah. Like what you were saying is they, you know, they give us this information and then we're supposed to run with it, but then all these variables are affecting our hormones. And the only understanding we have is you go to the doctor and then maybe they prescribe you the birth control. Mm-hmm. If you have cramps or irregularity, there's no why explained. So I think what you do is so important to explain why things show up and that there are solutions. And the more we understand about ourselves, the easier it is to make choices to help support them because they're really, they're just communicators, right? Yeah, 100%. And I find that um, a lot of women, once they know the why, once once they're like, why do I have cramps, let's say? Why do I have cramps? And I'm like, oh, here, here are some reasons you might, you particularly might have cramps. Here's the mechanism behind cramps. And then they're like, oh, nobody explained that to me before. I had no idea. Okay. And so it just help bring it down or, um, you know, like with mood swings, depression, anxiety, with really scary things, you know, where women are like, this is normal. I don't know if this is normal. Um, I don't know what to do with this. And then when I could walk them through it and explain it, and then they're like, okay, you're right. Now that like, I'm going to make different decisions or I'm going to make better choices or I recognize where I'm at, what's causing this. And then now let's help to modify that. And it was a big light bulb moment for a lot of women when I can explain what's happening with their hormones and why they feel the way they do or what's going on. So, um, I mean, you, you also help men as well and, and you help women. Um, and a lot of it comes through a lot of the work that you're doing now, I imagine as well, just in, in the realm of testing. So how important is it 
for people, individuals to know themselves through testing? And if you could highlight some points there, it'd be great. Well, I am biased working for a, a hormone lab um, who pays my bills. Yeah, I'm pretty biased. However, even when I was in practice full time, I was a, you know, it was really important to me that I wasn't just guessing because when mm -hmm. in, when your patient comes in and they're trusting you with their healthcare and you're trying to make these decisions, budget is usually always a big part of the conversation. And so instead of just randomly throwing supplements or prescriptions or whatever it is at them, I was like, look, we're going to use, we're going to use testing so that we can, you know, really help get the most bang for your buck and find out what's going on and then be more precision, be more personalized to what's going on for you. So I am a big fan of testing, but I'm also a big fan of testing at the appropriate times. And I find this, and you probably do too, women will go to their doctor, their GP, their primary care and go, I feel hormonal will you test my hormones? And it will be a random Wednesday at three in the afternoon. And they're like, yeah, sure. Go get your blood drawn. <laughs> mm -hmm. And then they get called and told they're quote normal. And it's like, ah, but m women who are of a reproductive age are cycling. And so we have to match where we are in our cycle to which hormone we're testing and why we're testing it. Mm -hmm. And it's very similar to men. While men don't cycle, they cycle in a day. Mm -hmm. I will have men, they'll have gone to their doctor. Or maybe they'll get off of work and go to the lab and they're like, okay, here's my testosterone at 4.30 p.m. And I'm like, well, testosterone in men is made in the night. And so we want to do it early first thing in the morning if we can to see that's like that's as good as it gets. That's as high as it should be. So let's see where you're at and then go from there. So even just the education around what to test and how to test in men and women, I think, is missing versus just blindly testing everybody and everything. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that's huge because it gives um, the client or patient confidence too. Mm -hmm. And they have this understanding of like, okay, I've been feeling depressed. I've been feeling anxious. I've been, I have cysts or I have fibroids or like all these things going on. And then there's this real physical, physiological thing going on. Right. And, you know, sometimes they go to the doctors and they're told that it's maybe it's all in your head. Right. And it's, it's comes with age. You know, there's mm -hmm. that one that I love. That's because you're yeah. getting old. You're just getting older. <laughs> you're a mom. You're a mom of yeah, little you're ones. Mom, you're That's tired. Expected. You know, you're mm -hmm. supposed to be tired. But when they see that, okay, there's something going on here, they can almost like see it more objectively than get mm -hmm. caught up in it. I, I don't know if yeah. you find, have that experience as well. I have, I have patients that put their lab results on the refrigerator. Do you have patients mm -hmm. that tell you, like, they're like, I am so happy to know that this is what's wrong with me. And this is like, this is what's going on. And we're going to work on this. I am putting it on the fridge for everyone to see that I'm not crazy. This is real. And we're, this is what we're going for. Mm -hmm. And the other thing is there are hormones, a lot of hormones overlap. And so if somebody says I'm tired, mm -hmm. it must be my thyroid and they're all in on the thyroid. And it turns on like, well, actually you're tired because your cortisol is low. Your mm -hmm. testosterone is low. Your DHEA is low or I mean, there's lots of, re your iron's low. I mean, there's, your, there's a lot of reasons for fatigue. And so if I was just blindly throwing supplements at somebody for, for tiredness, we could really miss what's actually going on. Women with PMS, you know, I'm moody. Um, I, I, it's, it's gotta be my estrogen. I must have estrogen issues. I, we should do something about my estrogen. And, and it turns out like maybe it's all progesterone. Maybe the estrogen is completely within the normal range, but the progesterone isn't. The progesterone is bottomed out. And so- it's, it's not that you have like 2X, 3X, 4X times estrogen. You have like negative 2X, 4X progesterone and that's the problem. And so by testing, I can go, ah, there it is. Let's mm -hmm. go for it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. On this topic of understanding hormones, I think it's also helpful to understand that hormones are an adaptive 
mechanism to mm -hmm. our lifestyle and everything else. So, you know, I think as practitioners, you know, even ones that may be listening and we get into a, a habit of testing for things and, okay, great, let's give you the progesterone. Let's do this. Let's do this. I love how you also speak to like the lifestyle aspect and like, how did we get here? So can you kind of help listeners understand this adaptive change and hormones can be a result, not always necessarily the problem. Mm -hmm. uh, although there may be times where it is the problem. Um, but I'd love for you to speak to that a little bit. So if we think, let's start with, the, let's go with the female body. So the female body um, is designed around reproduction, whether you want to reproduce or not, that is irrelevant. It, that's what the body is designed around. So the brain is constantly scanning your environment externally and internally to say, am I safe enough? Am I healthy enough to have a baby? And if you aren't, if you are in the middle of a pandemic, if you are really stressed out, if you are, as an example, over-exercising, or maybe you live in a moldy house, or you are um, under-eating, you have not been sleeping really well for a while, whatever it is, the brain goes, ooh, this is not safe and this is not healthy. I'm going to shift her hormones so that it will reduce the chances of her becoming pregnant. It'll change her cycle. Maybe she'll skip a cycle. Maybe she won't ovulate. What we feel as women is the other end. We feel that. We feel like, oh my gosh, I'm more anxious. I'm more tired. I'm worse PMS. Gosh, my period was terrible. My endometriosis pain was awful. So we immediately blame the hormones. But just as you said, they are literally the end the end talking point. We have to back up and go, what made the brain freak out? What made the brain go, you're not safe enough and you're not healthy enough. So we're going to shift. We're going to shift. Mm -hmm. And then all of those affect all the other hormones, right? Our, our adrenal gland hormones, our thyroid gland hormones, our ovaries for men, our testicles, like they're all best friends. They all talk and interact and do stuff all day long. They do not work in a silo. So if the ovaries are unhappy, you better believe the adrenals and the thyroid are probably not happy either. And, and vice versa. If you've got a thyroid issue, you usually have an ovarian issue and it's pressing on your adrenals as well, those whole mm -hmm. systems. And so um, while I agree in some cases for women, I'm like, yeah, you need, let's give you some progesterone temporarily as a Band-Aid while we're backing up and figuring out why don't you make progesterone? What is going on that you don't ovulate or you have weak cells that are not pumping it out but let's do a little progesterone so you don't kill anyone and that you <laughs> sleep well yeah. that's right i love that a balanced approach i mean that's for how sure. we operate as well so it is right. and it took us some time to kind of get there too because in the beginning for me when i first uh, started learning about bioidentical hormones i had some resistance mm -hmm. so you know everything needs to be done naturally mm -hmm. we have herbs we have things that we can do and i you know i had this deep understanding that it's your environment so we should be able to change it and then I started to understand that, you know, we're not living in that same village anymore. We're not living in that same way where, you know, we can be at peace all the time within mm -hmm. ourselves so that the stress hormones aren't going up and affecting our sex hormones that are already declining. Mm -hmm. So then, you know, I started utilizing bioidentical hormones and then also bringing in those elements. And that's where you see true success. Yeah. In my own personal journey, after our second was born six months in, I knew the day that I would stop liking this man and he's lovely it didn't take long right? yeah. so i knew the day i like his response hmm. yeah <laughs> 
it's out in the public. So (laughs) I used progesterone because I was doing all the right things. You know, I was taking care of myself, but I was also now a mom of two that Mm -hmm. was busy and not sleeping for almost five years at that point. So I used it for six months and it really supported me. It shifted that um, mindset. So I think it can be a real lifesaver. So I love that you brought that up. Especially, you know, for some people, depending on their situation, it's not going to change for a while. And we just need Mm -hmm. to keep their head above water. I mean, I had plenty of moms who were maybe going through really awful, nasty divorces, you know, like it just wasn't going to get better for six months, a year, Mm -hmm. whatever. And they did have children and they did have a job or maybe somebody was dying, you know, maybe they're taking care of a dying parent and it was just waiting and in, in surviving. And they were like, look, I'm falling apart. I'm literally falling apart. I can barely scrape myself off the floor every day. What can you give me? I'm like, yeah, let's give you something. Uh Uh-huh. Absolutely. Like I love my naturopathic, um, you know, fallback that I have and I love our, our core beliefs and and functional medicine, but at the same time, I need you to keep your habit above water. So let's use what we have for the situation you're in. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I love that. Yeah, it's so important. I think, you know, in the culture that we live in, we're so quick to label things, you know, mm-hmm. like you're an adrenal patient. So we just treat adrenals and, and you know, you've got sex hormone deficiency and, you know, what have you. And, and I love how you brought that in. Just, you know, there could be some big things going on in people's lives mm-hmm. and, and they need, and we call it, we call them kind of like a bandaid mm-hmm. approach or a bit of a buoyancy just to give them that lift so that they can, you know, move through the, that experience uh, mm-hmm. in opposition or in contrast to, you know, it's all in your head here. Let's put you on antidepressant to subdue or sort of bring down your emotional Mm -hmm. variation and just put you into this little monotone sort of experience of life. And again, there's a role for that too. You know, it's not to say that it's wrong. It's just that, you know, everything that you uh, teach is really about looking at this, this bigger picture. So let's, let's break down some of these hormones. These are sort of big names that maybe not everyone understands. So let's hear your, uh, basically how you speak to sort of each of the different hormones, um, you know, as briefly or as detailed as you'd like. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, this can take out. We'll be here all day. We'll be here all day. Right. (laughs) Get a cup of tea. We're going to go in. So we usually, when we say hormones, everyone thinks the big ones, estrogen, progesterone, testosterone. That's, that's what we think of the most. We think of hormone. Obviously there are other ones, thyroid hormones, cortisol, DHEA, insulin, you know, like those are hormones as well, but they're not what we think of when you say, gosh, I feel hormonal today. So estrogen and women are made in primarily made in the ovaries. We have three kinds of estrogen and our most potent, uh, appropriately they're named E1, E2, and E3. Our most potent is E2 and, uh, the ovaries pump that one out the most. So if you're cycling, that's where it comes from. Estrogen helps things grow. It helps things shine. It helps things develop. Um, it helps us feel voluptuous. It helps sort of dictate where women put fat on their belly or on their body, usually in the the thigh booty area. Um, it helps us with skin, helps us with collagen, which is why when we're younger, we have like better cheekbones and less wrinkles. And then as we get older, like our cheekbones fall and we get a little more wrinkly because we're losing that collagen. So estrogen helps with libido. It helps, you know, with keeps things lubricated. Um, So joints, eyes, vagina, skin, things like that. So we like estrogen, but just like Goldilocks, too much or too little can cause problems. And that's where women feel it the most when it swings out of that where she should be as a hormone into high land or low land. Then we have progesterone. Progesterone is only made in the second half of our cycle. It's only made after we ovulate or release the egg. And progesterone is a little bit of the opposite of estrogen. She's our calming, soothing, relaxing, everything's going to be okay hormone. 
she's what like helps us sleep at night and she helps she helps us nest so that if we were gonna if we were trying to get pregnant or were pregnant it helps with implantation she makes our uterus really fluffy and like ready for the for the embryo to attach and so um so we need both. Again, it's just like Goldilocks. If we get too much progesterone, believe it or not, women have symptoms and not enough. And women definitely have symptoms. And then we have testosterone. Testosterone is made partly in the ovaries, about 25%, partly in the adrenal glands, about 25%. And then the other 50%, usually, believe it or not, is made in uh, fat tissue, but can also be made in some other tissues. And then testosterone is exactly what we think. Testosterone helps with building. It helps with mood. It helps with libido. It helps with muscle mass. Um, it helps with brain um, and mood. And so um, testosterone gets a lot of recognition, mostly around libido with women, you know, because they're like, oh, I have no libido. It must be my testosterone. But it turns out libido is actually a pretty complex interplay of all of your hormones, your estrogen, your progesterone, testosterone, your brain hormones adrenal hormones, your thyroid, your blood, all of it can really affect a woman's libido. And so we need all of them, again, kind of like Goldilocks, depending where you are in your cycle. Unfortunately, though, as women get older and they move into menopause, they tend to lose out on all of these hormones. <laughs> their estrogen goes down, their progesterone goes down, their testosterone goes down. And that's why they start to feel less shiny than they were when they were in their younger reproductive years. And so I say this a lot when I am the goddess of the female body. Um, I don't want to be the goddess of the world. That seems like a big job. But the female body, I would prefer that women slide into perimenopause and menopause quite easily. And, you know, let's, let's make us, like, I feel like we deserve an award, you know, like we had periods <laughs> for all those years. We yeah. carried the babies and then like, hey, congratulations. Here's, you know, yeah, like a your brain works sharp. Yeah. Thank yeah. you. Yeah. Just like I'm not asking for much. <laughs> yeah. Um, and instead, unfortunately, a lot of women listening are like, yep, menopause, hot flashes, night sweats, joint pain, you know, dry skin, wrinkles, brain fog, all these things. And so it's, these hormones are so important in our younger years. And then we, we gradually start to lose them as we get older, which mm -hmm. is not fair. Yeah. I was just having a conversation with, um, Dr. Mindy, who, you know, mm, I love her friend of ours. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And we were talking about grief right? Like mm -hmm. there's a lot of grief that happens as we're transitioning, um, whether you become pregnant and now you're going to be a new mom, there's grief around our bodies, our hormones, mm -hmm. our lives, same thing going into perimenopause, menopause, there's grief there too. And a lot of that grief comes from this physiological change in mm -hmm. our body when testosterone and estrogen, like estrogen being that uh, fertilizer for the brain, testosterone is that motivation hormone. So when that starts to decline, it's really hard to wake up and have pep in your step mm -hmm. every single day. But we expect ourselves, I think, to be the same all the time. But like you're saying, there's, you know, estrogen is that hormone that mm -hmm. can, um, makes us feel voluptuous and maybe more energetic where the progesterone is more of like, let's go internal. Mm -hmm. And yet women put this pressure on themselves that my libido should be high all month. I should be energetic all month. I, like all these things should be happening all the time. It's not supposed to be that way. No. Okay. <laughs> this is a really good <laughs> session what? for Dr. Nick here <laughs> to understand that it's what not is going on all the time. <laughs> yes. Yes. My husband, a couple of weeks ago, I was saying to my, explaining perimenopause again to my husband and he was like, you got screwed because I'm in my 40s. I'm, I'm 43. I'll be 44 next month. And he was like, you got screwed. Like, this is what I have to watch out for. I'm like, well, hopefully, you know, I know all the things. I work for a lab. Like, but like, maybe, <laughs> you know, 
Sorry, babe. This is what happens. And I think with the going back to the grief, I think a lot of it too, there's like next to zero education around it historically growing up, right? When we were growing up, we, again, we learned puberty kind of, and then we learned how to make a baby and that was it. Like nobody continued on to go, all right, Hey, I know you're 15, but just know when you get older that it's going to your, all your hormones are going to decline and we're going to have to have like a recap class in 20 years to explain this to you. Like it's, and like moms don't talk about it usually like our aunts, maybe our older sister, it's becoming more talked about now, thankfully, but I feel a lot of generations, I had a lot of women come to me and go, what is this thing that is happening to me? I'm like, it's perimenopause. I would have women come in and go, I figured out what's wrong with me. I have perimenopause. How do I fix it? I'm like, yeah, like it's a diagnosis. <laughs> like it's a, like, yeah, exactly. Like it's like, it's a, like it's like a, a worm I can eradicate. I'm like, oh, that's a transition. That's no. <laughs> Yeah, it doesn't work. That I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I don't. I don't have an antibiotic for that. So, it's yeah. and I wish women. I want to like, just keep again education. Just keep educating so that they're not caught off guard. It's the whole caught off guard. Why do I, I had a I had a very high ranking um, executive in uh, we in in Portland. We have like we have Under Armour here. We have Nike here. We have a, like a big Adidas branch here. We have a lot of sports here oddly enough. And so a very high ranking, one of these big, big sports companies came in and she was in her fifties and she goes, okay, I did it. I did menopause. And I was like, <laughs> how'd you do it? She goes, well, we were getting ready for a black tie event. And I had a hot flash. I had to open the window. The hot flash went away and I did it. I'm done. I was like, oh, all good. <laughs> no. Oh, okay. She was like, like, she's like, what check do I have to write? You know, she just had that mentality. Like she was just type yeah. A, go, go. She was top of the food chain at this big sports company. Yeah. And she's like, what I've check do I have to write? Yeah. Like, what do I have to do? Who do I have to buy off? Who can I get like a signed jersey to? Cause <laughs> this can't happen. I'm like, <laughs> yeah, I got something stored for you. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if you find this though. So when I'm working with younger women and I try to bring that conversation in, so I'm working with their hormones and they're 20 something mm -hmm. and, you know, I'll, I'll relay that what we're doing today is going to, you know, impact maybe pregnancy mm -hmm. and it's going to impact perimenopause. But all of a sudden you see this like glaze mm -hmm. oh, yeah. over their yeah. eyes, because in that moment, like you feel invincible, you feel like, okay, whatever's happening today is what I just need to deal with. And I yeah. just need to get on with my day and my right. life. And I think the more conversations that happen like this, the easier it'll become mm -hmm. that it's the norm to have these conversations around these changes that are happening. Cause I think that that's a huge missing link. Yeah. And then, then we're not surprised. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I think women should know they can have hormone changes at any age. I mean, I'm sure mm -hmm. you have women in their twenties with hot flashes. Mm -hmm. It doesn't mean they're menopausal, but it does mm -hmm. mean there's something going on, you know, mm -hmm. and it drives me nuts when they've gone to their primary care and said, I'm having hot flashes at 24. And they're, they're like, Oh no, that's not possible. Mm -mm. That's mm -mm, you can't, there's no way that can happen. I'm like, yes, way that can happen. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. You know, low, ep low estrogen coupled with high norepinephrine. Boom. You've got a hot flash. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Any age. Yeah. Well, let's talk about men. So, you know, men, menopause and then there's andropause. I know. There's, Here's there what's coming. Nick. Day. <laughs> yeah. I can't wait. Can't wait. <laughs> tell me more. <laughs> well, tell us more. <laughs> yeah. Right. Exactly. I know. Yeah. I don't think and it's the same. Men don't really get the message that um, their hormones decline as well. And unfortunately, they're declining at a much more rapid rate than they used to. And not only just 
when we say hormone, men just automatically think testosterone. Oh, you know, I am man, testosterone. And we forget about estrogen and men. And testosterone does this nifty little trick where it turns into estrogen through an enzyme called aromatase. And lifestyle factors such as high inflammation, high stress, high insulin will speed up that process. And so suddenly men develop bellies and breast tissue, right? Moobs, man boobs, and they feel more moody and less motivated, maybe a little more weepy, a little more brain fog, because now they have this shift towards an estrogen dominant body, if you will, away from their testosterone. And we see it a lot with lifestyle choices and with environmental chemicals and, you know, lack of exercise and high stress lifestyle in our men. And so I have men in their thirties who come to me and say, I have low testosterone and I'm 35. Why? Like, mm -hmm. Ooh, yeah. Let's mm -hmm. talk about this. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's definitely, I mean, we see it more and more that, that young men are having these menopause like symptoms in their, mm -hmm. in their earlier years. And, and sometimes, I mean, we see a lot of men too, that have gone through cycles of steroids and mm -hmm. maybe expedited this, this massive, you know, transition or, or decline with, right. with time. Right. Um, one, of, one of the tests that we love to run just as sort of like a screening is, is to, is, is serum SH, SHBG in relation mm -hmm. to testosterone and whatnot. Um, no, urine testing doesn't do that. We can't. Um, so do you, what do you destroyed. like to do on those? Yeah. Do you always like to run the SHBG mm -hmm. along with? Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. 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 Combination. Yeah. Unfortunately, all those binding globulins, so thyroid binding globulin, cortisol binding globulin, sex hormone binding globulin, um, they're long destroyed by the time they hit the liver or the uh, kidneys. So mm -hmm. they won't show up on our test. But yes, for um, especially for men, I'm like, go do a blood draw as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Do you have any information on generational changes in hormones? So say now we have a couple that maybe has a high stress job and, you know, they're moving through pregnancy and they move through life and they have a baby. And what impact is that lifestyle, those stresses, those changes in their hormones going to make on, you know, the child's hormone health as they grow older? Oh, unfortunately, um, I, th it's, I think it's very real and I think it's, um, the child's, all their pathways are very impressionable, especially in utero and in the young, growing, developing formative years. And so I think without even having a science medical doctor degree, you can look around at your friends, you can go to, well, here you go to Walmart, like you can go to some places and you can see the grandparents, the parents, the child, and you see, look at the mm -hmm. child and you're like, oh, mm -hmm. so unfortunate. Mm -hmm. Like, they're going to be a hormonal mess. They're going to be a stress mess. They're going to have cardiometabolic issues um, just watching in all of that development. And I think, I think it's very real. I think it's very real. And even in talking to, I've had patients that will flippantly say, they think it's funny. They're like, oh my gosh, my pregnancy was so stressful. I had this and that and that. I was running two businesses. I like made time to get pregnant because it fit my plan. And they're like, my, my child is screwed. And I'm like, your child is screwed. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, like, it's not funny. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And now they're having developmental disorders. They're having, you know, the, the try like eczema and asthma and allergies and, and the digestive stuff. And they, they won't sleep and they're hyperactive and, it's, and, and I'm not, and I, and I also don't want people to listen to this and go, oh, you're blaming me. I'm like, oh, not, not, I'm not blaming you. I'm just saying your decisions matter, mm -hmm. especially when you have a, a, like when growth and development are at play and you mm -hmm. can, 
impress upon the enzymes that have to do with growth and development and hormones. Um, when you're super stressed out, that gets passed right on, right on down the way, right on down to your developing child. And so be mindful, right? It's, mm -hmm. it's, it's be mindful. And I think parents will, will, I don't see kids like pedi pediatrics is not my thing, but I have had a lot of parents in who are like, yeah, my child is pretty much just like me or my daughter's puberty was just as bad as mine. And I, sh you know, like I definitely screwed that one up. And so it's interesting when parents can pick it out and they can see it. Mm -hmm. Or on the flip side, I've had parents say my, the way I was raised, my mom, when I was, my mom, my mom was pregnant with me. I turned out a particular way. I made the choice not to do that to help hopefully break the cycle for my for my children. And so I think that's always interesting too. And parents look up their lineage and try to break the cycle for everything mm -hmm. moving forward. Yeah, absolutely. There was a study that was done on um, Holocaust survivors mm -hmm. and their children. And they did, they did see that they were born with adrenal insufficiency. Mm -hmm. So I wonder with individuals like that, that are already born with adrenal insufficiency, is there ways to still help develop the adrenals and change that mechanism or that communication between the brain and the adrenal glands and to help develop those glands still as they're growing. Cause you know, as they're growing, they're going to have their own challenges and stresses, right. whether it's generational trauma or just our world today with right. our toxicity load. So I'm curious. Um, and I don't know if you know the answer to this, but just I, so the, unfortunately there's not a lot of research into those enzymes, the enzymes that help like make, cortisol, so to speak, or with the signaling. And so, you know, genetically, if those enzymes get, there's a variant and they get downregulated, um, the, in the U S the national institutes for health, the NIH is not pumping out billions of dollars into like herbs and vitamins that might help that enzyme. That's really not their focus. And so there's very, very little out there. Um, and so a lot of it is us in our field, noticing patterns, seeing anecdotally, taking our patient's feedback and then using the research that we have to go, oh, you know what? This herb is showing consistently that it's quite helpful. Or you know what? Like we know to make cortisol, it's made in the mitochondria. So supporting the mitochondria and helping our, with our antioxidant status. And so just us trying to really help move it along. And um, when it comes to our stress response, there's a portion of our brain, the amygdala, right? The amygdala is our fear-based emotion center. And so the amygdala, you can, you can be born with an amygdala that's already a little hyper-reactive, a little hyper-responsive, which means whenever it feels fear or senses fear, it runs to the hypothalamus in our brain and says, react, 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 freak out. Oh my God, stress, stress, stress. And so then, then it, everybody rushes down to the adrenals and says, do something. It's a stressful situation. But we can also uh, sort of um, um, train our amygdala to react. So you may mm -hmm. be the most chill, relaxed, have the most chill, relaxed childhood, but then, you know, God forbid something happens, trauma happens, repeated trauma happens, and you can train the amygdala to react because it's trying to protect you. It's trying to get you out of harm's way and away from fear. And so my concern is that everything we've been going through in 2020 has been training otherwise maybe well-coping people into being fear-based, high anxious people. And I hear it over and over of people who go, I never had anxiety. I never had fear. And now everything is tripping me off. Everything sets this off. Everything's setting off my anxiety because all I did was 
try to survive 2020 and Mm -hmm. here here's where I'm at so I think of now all the babies being born in 2020 or conceived in 2020 and being born in 2021 and thinking wow I hope your I hope your parents are or at least your mom is like well adjusted (laughs) has a good doctor Mm -hmm. taking care of herself because uh we'll we won't know until this generation grows up Mm -hmm. yeah and there's two sides to it too it can create some real resilience I think in a population, mm-hmm. um, but at the same time, only if the environment allows that. Yeah. And so what there's teaching around, you know, that reaction that you're having, we can switch that into a response and observe mm-hmm. what's going on. So I think the more we start, again, being curious and just um, evaluating ourselves, the easier it is to support the kids. Yeah. And another thing that I read that was interesting, you know, on the topic of the amygdala and trauma is that women, because we use both sides of our hemispheres continuously, whereas men only use one. Yeah, that's easier. obvious. Yeah, obvious. <laughs> um, only Just one side, one thing at a time. Of course. Yeah. That's the truth. <laughs> We're going to have to bring up the male power right? in this in a little bit. Yeah, yeah, it's actually easier for women to navigate chronic stress and men are better at acute stress. So I wonder if there's like a hormonal piece to that as well, that we have this capacity to deal with stress kind of an ongoing basis. It not, it's not that it's in a healthy way either. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, it impacts our physiology in different ways, but I think there's just innate ability that we can navigate through it, whereas for men, not so much. So right, I've read that too. That. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've read that too from a, um, mostly from a, like a, like a, a tribal mindset you know, historically, you know, in a, in a, in a tribe situation, um, men's jobs was to deal with the acute, stre- the acute threat, the acute fear, the acute, like they would, and whereas women were the day to day. So women had this chronic low grade of the tribe, the family, the location, uh, everything within either the village or whatever it was, whereas men were a little more, um, just reactionary. Like if there was a threat from a neighboring tribe, if there was a threat from an animal, if there was a hunt, whatever it was. And so men had to be very programmed to, you know, go kill the saber tooth tiger, deal with whatever it was, fight the fight. And, but women had been the nurturers and the family growers had to have this low grade awareness all the time of everyone around them. And I, I, I absolutely see a lot of stock in that, you know, I, and that's, I think not all women, but I, and men, but a lot of women and men, women are usually, sort of the low grade caretakers of, of their family or their mm-hmm. clinic or their workspace or whatever it is. Right. And um, men, men can do that, but in, and historically men do the more, the acute things. You can be blunt. Right. It's okay. Yeah. It's okay. <laughs> I, I got thick skin. Uh, yeah. so Prepare me right. well. Uh, but part, part right. of this too, I think is just, you yeah, know, that male mentality that, that, that some women love to um, critique us on is just uh <laughs> with regards to, we just want to fix things. And it's almost to yeah. your point of the acute nature of like, okay, here's a problem, let's solve it. Here's a problem, let's solve it. Yeah. I think we are absolutely wired in that kind of way. And it's funny because it's taken me many years and I'm still learning um, for me to just actually listen when Sonny's going through something yeah. and and not just get into, okay, what, what can I do about this? Like, how, yeah. how do we, how do we solve her emotional instability right now? Instead of like, can I actually just be with this, this stress? And I couldn't help but think that you know, is it progesterone? Because men don't have a whole lot of progesterone, comparatively yeah. speaking. Like, is, is progesterone maybe? I mean, we're we're sort of I'm sort of hypothesizing, but but there's there's some real. You know, we talk about it being a really buoyant hormone, really supportive hormone. Is that part of the resilience? And then it wouldn't be that far of a stretch, considering progesterone is a precursor to cortisol, the stress hormone. So, 
Um, it could be. I mean, we just know yeah, that in, yeah. in Dr. Um, Dr. Mascani, you know, she wrote the XX brain mm -hmm. and talking about male versus female brain. She's a female brain neuro researcher because she was like, there's not enough research into the female brain. That's all the studies predominantly for years and years and years have been on men and they just translate it to women. And she was like, yeah. wait a minute, we know there are some differences. There have to be. So she got into research that way. And so it is, it is interesting, everything from like, like, dopamine receptors and men and women's bodies, serotonin in our brains, serotonin receptors, like concentrations of these things, oxytocin production, um, progesterone, like all of this is just, depending if you're XX or XY, you know, it is a little bit different and it's what helps mm -hmm. us react and, and, and run our life differently. Obviously either way is trainable. I mean, there are definitely women yeah. that are great at acute stress. They're definitely mm -hmm. warriors. They're definitely, you know, probably would have been the protectors. And there are definitely men who are amazing at mm -hmm. being the community and being the nurturer and, and, and doing those things for the family. But no matter what our, um, it, it boils down to like how we handle our stress and the stress we're exposed to, which I think is so important because stress is going to impact how a man makes testosterone and sperm. And it's going to impact how a woman ovulates or, you know, makes her hormones as well. And again, even if reproduction is not what you want to do, you don't want to make a baby, you do want healthy hormones because that affects mm -hmm. everything from your lungs to your heart, to your brain, to your bones, to your skin, to your mood. So let's, let's support it. Have you, sorry, I'm going to call. <coughs> Have you noticed a trend in the testing that you do just because our like world has shifted? Mm -hmm. So like roles of women have shifted, like you were talking about CEO and, you know, we're busy, we're, we have careers, plus we have children, plus we're taking care of a home. So have you noticed because of these elements that there's a trend in um, testing that you see? Honestly, a lot of it would be just, um, I think, a trend in burnout. I think the trend in burnout is going up. Um, I'm seeing that on the requisition form. When you look at thousands and thousands of tests a day, it's like, I'm tired um, I'm struggling. I'm burnt out. I can't sleep. So it's in, and even talking to, um, women who are trying to do it all publicly, privately, what have you. I mean, they're just really, really struggling. And I'm seeing a lot more cortisol dysfunction. I, I see a lot of estrogen, progesterone dysfunction. And sadly, I see it at a younger age, younger and younger, just like in men, I'm seeing low testosterone at a younger age as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and this topic that, that we kind of um, discussed earlier with regards to your know, hormones being an adaptive process, and we brought up testing a little bit. I'd love for people to really understand a little bit more about why uh, Dutch testing, you know, there's there's more power, I, or I guess maybe now considered to be the gold standard versus just looking at blood or saliva and and, and your journey with it a little bit too, just because obviously you've had a chance to do some spectacular deep dives into comparing and contrasting between uh, all of these. But uh, yeah, if any, and, and while you're, while you're there, um, <laughs> if, if you can also speak to just that, that cortisol response and, and, um, and why maybe we're looking a little bit too downstream uh, for adrenal insufficiency or adrenal stress. And so I, I'm sure you'll find a way to tie all those things together. <laughs> and go. <laughs> I trust you. <laughs> I've done all the testing. I've been in practice. Um, well, I should say I've been in the, I've been in the field about 21 years since 1999, 22 years. So a long time. And so I've done blood, I did saliva. Um, and now, and now I do a combination actually of all three urine, saliva and uh, blood when I'm looking at hormones. 
And so the company I work for is the Dutch Test. Dutch is an acronym. It stands for Dried Urine Test for Comprehensive Hormones. And basically, it's an at-home test. You urinate on pieces of filter paper four, if not five times during the day and let them dry, mail it back. The nice part about urine is you get all the hormones we've been talking about, the estrogens, progesterone, testosterone, but because you collect multiple times in the day, we get your cortisol throughout the day. So we get it in the morning, a couple hours later, around dinner, before bed. And if you get up in the middle of the night because you have insomnia, you can test then as well and we'll tell you what's going on. So urine also gives you what I call the pathways of where your hormones are going. The end result is called a, a metabolite. So you make an estrogen, where does it go? You make a testosterone, where does it go? While it's very helpful to know in the blood work, my testosterone is this and my estradiol is this, I then need to know, well, are you going down the pathway that might increase your risk for cancer? Are you going down the pathway with testosterone that might increase your risk for hair loss and acne and hair growth in places you don't want? Because if I can see those pathways and I can either stop the symptoms before they come or I can help you if you actually have those symptoms through diet, lifestyle, supplements, what have you. With cortisol, cortisol is really interesting because cortisol is made in the adrenal glands, but it's signaled from the brain. So the brain sends the signal, we're stressed out or we're hungry or we're inflamed and we need to make cortisol. Cortisol is made in our mitochondria. And so if we don't have good brain signaling, and we don't have mitochondria, which we all learned in school, are our cellular powerhouses right inside our cells, then we're going to struggle to make healthy levels of cortisol when we need it. And so when you do the Dutch test, not only do we give you your free cortisol marker, free cortisol being anything free, uh, a hormone that's free is active, meaning it can bind to receptors, do the things, turn it on, turn it off, what have you. We also give you a total marker. So I can tell you, can you make cortisol in the first place? how much of it is free and active. And then we also give you a third marker, which is called cortisone, which is where cortisol gets inactivated. Cortisol is dead in the water. It doesn't do anything. So some people think, gosh, I'm so tired. I must not make cortisol. And the truth is that they're just deactivators. They deactivate to cortisone for a variety of reasons. Or I must not make cortisol. And sure enough, they, they don't. They either don't get the signal or their mitochondria is not great in the adrenal glands. And so their total is low and they're free as low. And so it's nice to have this bigger, more comprehensive cortisol picture instead of, oh, I'm tired, must be cortisol, here, take a supplement for life. It's like, mm, it's more complicated than that. Let's mm -hmm. really see what level you're at, where, where things are, and then um, treat accordingly. Because lots and lots and lots of people have tried adrenal. They've gone to the store, right? They've gone to a natural store. They got an Amazon and they ordered fatigue away or whatever supplement of the, the week it was. And then they were like, oh, that's crap. It didn't work. And I'm like, well, yeah. <laughs> maybe not what you needed. <laughs> yeah. I do love that's that you awesome, brought that up. Yeah. Cause yeah. the, you know, it's that upstream versus the downstream, right? Mm -hmm. So we were talking about before that hormones necessarily are not the cause or the effect. Yeah. So when you go back and you look at the mitochondria, okay, what's affecting my mitochondria health, yeah. what toxicity, what lifestyle factors, what stresses, all these things, that's, what's going to affect the cortisol. So I'm really glad that you brought that back into that conversation mm -hmm. and even just this brain health you know if you're not sleeping if you have insomnia if you have sleep apnea and you don't want to acknowledge it if you're a snorer if you mouth breathe you know all those things if you get woken up 62 times in the night because your dog's in bed your cat's in bed your partner snores and your kid comes in 
Like that all <laughs> affects your signal, all the things, right? Mm-hmm. Like everyone listening is like, yes, check, check, yeah. check. check. <laughs> um, that affects the downstream signaling. And so yeah. the adrenals may get over signaled. They may get under signaled, you know, it's, and as a result, you feel it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, so you said, you said two things I want to ask you about. One is that you can test for metabolites that tell you where hair shouldn't be growing. Yeah. So for PCOS. Yeah. For PCOS. Uh, I, yeah, I was, I was thinking I, not for even... men and like growing hair in your ears. <laughs> in their ears. <laughs> that seems to be just a man yeah, yeah, I don't know. genetic <laughs> thing. Yeah. That, yeah right. right. Or the nose hair. I'm always <laughs> like, my husband's <laughs> a lot taller. I'm tall, but my husband's a lot taller than me. And I'm always like, whoa. <laughs> <laughs> Get that. Tested. Get that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then, then you also mentioned um, uh, you, you do sometimes do saliva testing. So when, when would there be a time for that? So I use saliva testing for something called the cortisol awakening response. And so in the morning, when you open your eyes and light comes in, then your brain gets your brain signals to the adrenal glands. Okay, she's up, make cortisol. And the body does very quickly, very high. And that and it does so in about 30 or 45 minutes. And it's to that drive up in cortisol is to get your butt out of bed. It's to reduce inflammation. It's to give you a little bit of glucose because you've been fasting all night. Um, it's to switch you to alert because you were, you're just kind of conscious and groggy and now to switch you to alert. So it's really important. Your cortisol goes up in the morning and then it gradually drops down through the rest of the day because it happens so quickly in 30 to 45 minutes when I'm testing to see, I need to test rapidly. I need to test when you wake up. I need to test 30 minutes. I need to test 30 minutes after that. And then throughout the day, because urine is a delay. And because obviously not everybody can urinate on command every 30 minutes, it's a giant pain. So we use saliva testing in that example. So Dutch has these cotton swabs that you just pop in your mouth and get wet. So when your alarm goes off, you put it in your mouth, get it wet for a couple seconds, stick it back in the tube. 30 minutes later, you do it again. 30 minutes later, you do it again. And it's a nice test because when people say to me, um, in the morning, I... In the morning when I wake up, I'm so tired. I hit snooze twice, three times, four times. In the morning, my autoimmune is terrible. In the morning, my joint pain is terrible. I always feel sick in the morning, but then gradually, like, it gets a little bit better. Or the opposite. Um, In the morning, I'm so anxious. I don't know what to do with myself. In the morning, I wake up with panic attacks. In the morning, I become very hypervigilant. I can't turn my brain off. And then gradually, it gets better throughout the day. So when I hear these, when I wake I, in the morning I sentences, that's when I use the cortisol awakening response. That's and the amazing. quickest heater yeah. test ever is how long does it take you to feel alert in the morning? Because mm-hmm. I just told you it should take you 30 to 45 minutes. And most people say to me, well, after two hours and two cups of coffee, then you can talk to me. I'm like, right. you have an <laughs> adrenal response problem. <laughs> and here's your kit. Yeah. And yes. Kit. Yeah. Let's yeah. test you and see how off you are. And it's mm-hmm. important to know this because they've linked an unhealthy cortisol awakening response. If you can't make that drive up of cortisol, they've linked it to things like autoimmune. I mean, they've linked it to blood sugar issues. They've linked it to cardiovascular disease. They've linked it to cancer, lack of resiliency. I mean, they've linked it to a lot of big things that worry people. It's not just, oh, I'm tired. It's like, Mm -hmm. yeah, your body's gonna struggle and the domino effect is it can link to these other things. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's stress. So, in closing, I, do you have one more? Okay. Have He's like, I got one more. Yeah, okay. <laughs> yeah. I, I want to hear about your favorite lifestyle hacks for sleep. 
because that that is such an issue for so yeah. many people like and obviously you get to see the hormones but what's what's your favorite go-to there? for sleep so i first explained that we as humans men and women we work on a circadian rhythm right our body clock and our our circadian rhythm is masterfully uh controlled by genes in our brain called the clock genes, like the clock on your wall. And the clock genes are set and reset every single day. Um, men have a slightly longer than 24 hour cycle and women usually have just a just under 24 hour cycle, believe it or not. Um, so we have to set and reset ourselves and we set it by lightness and we reset it by darkness. That's the big thing. So I always joke. I'm like, remember, like, notice I did not say intermittent fasting. Notice I didn't say ashwagandha. Like, Notice I didn't say cold showers. What I said was light and dark. Now, those things are helpful, but not as helpful. So if you're trying to get your sleep right, you have to start in the morning by getting full spectrum light exposure on waking. When you wake up, open your window, open your door, go outside for 10 or 15 minutes and get light exposure. Even on a gray day. I live in Portland, Oregon. We are gray most of the year. It doesn't matter. Even a gray day is helpful. If it's dark out, consider buying a full spectrum light box. Um, they're, they're like sunshine in a box and you just turn them on for 10 or 15 minutes in the morning. So that kicks off the rhythm. You do the complete opposite at night. Darkness is king. So you want to start dimming the lights as it's getting into the evening. You want to be off of your screens, TV, phone, tablet, leading up to bed. You want a, um, a wind down sleep hygiene routine, not wine, no W-I-N-E. <laughs> No alcohol. I was just going to ask you to repeat <laughs> Right. No, wind with a D. Um, you want to try to sleep in cool temperature if you can because, and you want to sleep in complete darkness, the complete darkness. So wearing an eye mask or, you know, making sure there's no blinking lights, night lights, hallway lights, bathroom lights. And if you wake up in the middle of the night and go to the bathroom, do not turn your light on. Obviously not everybody is sensitive, but I find as men and women get older, they become more sensitive. So they turn on the light and then they struggle to fall back asleep or they find that they're waking quite a bit. And so for sleep, it's, it's, I'd say the screens is the hardest for most people that they're like, oh yeah, I take a bath, but I'm looking at my phone or I'm reading a book on my tablet. I'm, you know, listening to music and I listen to relaxing, you know, bird sound music off my phone, but I'm also doing email on my phone. I'm like, mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. So that's, and, and obviously there are a lot of, there are a lot of herbs. There are a lot of calming herbs. I'm a big fan of magnesium. I take magnesium glycinate at night, uh, every night before bed. I also drink holy basil tea every night before bed. Holy basil is also known as Tulsi. Again, calming, relaxing, anti-stress. Other people do chamomile. Milky oats is a good one. Um, but none of that is going to save me if I've got my you know, huge TV on and I'm watching some Netflix scary murder documentary and the, <laughs> the white blue light coupled with scariness. No, I'll never yeah. sleep. Yeah. Adrenaline no. forever. Yeah. Yep. But, but like, I just think that for, for women in general, women seem to struggle a little bit more. Uh, in our hormones, our estrogen, our progesterone, our cortisol, our norepinephrine absolutely affect how we fall asleep, how we stay asleep our light REM deep cycles, our melatonin production. And because men don't have that rise and fall in estrogen, rise and fall in progesterone, it affects them very, very differently. Mm -hmm. And there's also, you know, a lot of women will have that pre-menstrual insomnia too and not yep. know why they're having it. And it's because of those changes. And yep. I also think we're wired that way for survival because we're the ones that are 
having the children. So yeah. we're going to need that awake response. That's like right there. If something were to happen to them. Right. So I think there's some multiple different things going on. Yeah. And mm -hmm. it's, it is hard, especially nowadays with the week, we're so educated and we're, um, we're so, uh, as women, like we've, we have so much women's liberation, but at the same time, like bi biology hasn't caught up. So mm -hmm. When, when women push back and they're like, well, I don't want a baby, you know, like I'm not looking to get pregnant and I, you know, I don't need to wake up to check on a baby multiple times in the night. I'm like, girl, I get it. I know, <laughs> trust me, but biology is not caught up. And so we're having to work with your natural biology as opposed to trying to, you know, force against it. Mm -hmm. I love it. Amazing. Thank you, Carrie, for your time. But I do have one last question yes. before we let you go. Yeah. Um, so my question is if tomorrow was, your last day here on earth what is the imprint that you'd like to leave for your you know your legacy and also just for the generations to come um oh my gosh that's a huge question i would say what imprint would i like to leave um actually i think it's on my board behind me so i heard a speaker once say healing happens at joy and i find that um, even I do a lot of education and I, I talk a lot about hormones, but really it's the fundamentals that help us the most when it comes to healing and people forget the fundamentals because they're not, it's not sexy and it's not in a pill and, you know, it's not fun to write about, but I feel like the people who are the most joyful, who find joy, e just even in the little things, who laugh at inappropriate jokes, who find memes funny, who tell jokes, who find, you know, just who enjoy a rainbow when after it's rained, like those people are, are going to serve do better in life. And so if I can just tell people, Hey, healing happens at joy. So find the little things in life and laugh and smile and find that joy because it's only going to help you and serve you and help with longevity, right? If you're 92 and still cracking up at inappropriate jokes, I want to be your friend. So, <laughs> and I mean, you probably had a good life and you probably don't take life super seriously and you probably have good friends that think like you and laugh like you. And I'm, I'm all about that. I'm glad you brought attention to that because I was hoping that you were going to speak to that sign behind you. It's yeah. Perfection. I love that. Yeah. 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 And you do exude that. If, oh, again, totally. you guys have to follow Dr. Carrie Jones <laughs> yeah. on Instagram. She just, she makes my day yeah. <laughs> when I see her feed and I see some of her videos. I'm like, oh yeah, there it is. <laughs> oh my gosh. Will you talk to my husband? I'm always like, babe, I'm funny. He's like, I know. <laughs> you absolutely are. So thank you for spreading joy in the world. Yeah, oh, I appreciate that. Thanks so much, Carrie. Thank you. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Health Ignited podcast. Be sure to download, subscribe, and share as we build this conscious community together. You can also find us on YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, and our website, drsjensen.com. Please note all information on this podcast is not and should not be taken as medical advice. Please see a healthcare professional to receive the care needed. Thank you for sharing this time with us, igniting your health freedom. And welcome to the tribe. 